This is S Tribe Radio, www.stribradio.com. Hi, Fiona. Hey, Jill. Sorry, I forgot to say hi, Jill. I just left <laughs> you sitting there. <laughs> we oh, have this I'm... long pause, <laughs> but I forgot to say anything. <laughs> I know. Well, we're we're allowed. Um, yeah. And so are. I want you to tell me a story of one of your travels. Okay. Tell me a story, enlighten enlighten us about your travels, where you went, what it was like, what you ate, where you slept. Did you fall in love? Was it Eat, Pray? What was Eat, Pray? What was that movie? doesn't matter. Eat, Pray, Love, I think, or something. Oh, yes. Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. Okay. Where are you going to take us today? I thought that I might take us back to my childhood. Because that was so significant for me. It's a different country. It was in the bush of South Africa. Um, my parent, my dad had grown up uh, when he when he was little. He lived in the bush with his parents and later just his mother. And uh, he grew up for the greater part without shoes, going down to the stream with the native children. They showed him how to hunt, how to make animals out of mud, how to glean stuff from the environment that they could eat. And he spent a lot of time with the Native children. Uh, They were part of their community. And even though his mom had come across on a sailing boat when she was in her 20s, I believe, from England, from a a family that had a house in London and a house in Yorkshire, and uh, she decided they, they were going to live a very simple life. And he really grew up part of the land and as such he really shared all that with us how to be with the land how to feel the land and I can remember waking up in the mornings hearing the wood stove being rattled and I think that was why it was so hard for him when we went to Australia is because he was very much a part of that land he was born in 1910 and from when they were very little as soon as they walked could walk. They were allowed to go outside, and as soon as they could ride, they were riding, and they would ride. When I was a child, Daddy would go out in the morning on the horse and come back for a quick lunch and then go out until dinner time. He was a naturalist. He wrote for... What did his parents do when he was born out there? What was it? What were his parents doing at that time? Um, his they just farm... They were farmers. His mum was from, his mum's dad was a gentleman, so he didn't work. Uh, although he was Wordsworth Donisthorpe, and he was a revolutionary kind of, um, he invented, the, along with someone else, the first moving camera. There's, there was a controversy about that. And uh, he was an inventor, and um, my grandmother was, it was a young lady, so she didn't work. And it's the same with my mother. They were from the families that didn't work but had lost a lot of their money. So they came out to South Africa to look for um, a better life and more money. And my mom's dad's family, came. Grandmama came out with all of her antiques, including Chippendale chairs and very valuable antiques and spinets, which is a special kind of piano. And uh, she just uh, settled into a small house in the bush with and had two little boys separated and looked after her boys. She would walk the bush. She was tiny. 
And I remember one time they said about her that her foot got caught in a human trap. I guess they would put traps out for humans. She was so tiny that her it actually went on either side of her of her uh, ankle bone. Uh, but she had to send a six-year-old out to try to get somebody to take it off. She couldn't open it. And so my uncle had to run to try to find someone. Now, both of them were very versed in in how to be with nature, how to be with snakes, how to be with all the animals, because the native children had taught them. They had become a symbiosis in a way just by living with them and being with them and that would have been in, you know, again, as soon as they could walk. And he was just, you could see him in the land. He knew everything about that land and he could walk in it and he could track in it. And he was friends with the native people. He was an anti-apartheid activist and mum belonged to the Black Sash, uh, which was an anti-apartheid organization. And um, we would go out and he would teach us about the tracking. And it was so wonderful because... They never forced us to to do anything. We were allowed to do what we felt to do. I could see the energies. I could feel things. And it never left me. And the joyousness and the balance and the ease of just being in the oneness was with me when I was there. And it didn't leave me until I went to school in Australia. So there was always this uh, knowledge. It wasn't a knowledge because it was a bit like being a fish in water. You didn't realize you were in this vast oneness um, until I left it. And it took me years of struggling and trying to search to get back to it. But I remember one morning, uh, Dad was making tea. He always loved his tea with lots of sugar, tall and thin Englishman. So he was making tea and then he would walk down this wonderful little road which was dirt and sand amongst the trees and go and make my grandma her first cup of tea and sometimes I was lucky enough to walk with him down the road if I got up early enough and I would usually go with bare feet because it was sand and it got in our shoes so we didn't like to have sand in our shoes and I would dance and spin and sing as as we walked down the road and he would point out this bird and how they're sitting and look how that track is and look at the clouds or look at this or even though it was cold on my feet I preferred to have bare feet and uh, I would be with him on those times and my sister and I would do that too when he went hunting we were veg- trying to be vegetarians even then because we had a hard time watching the animals die all the time. But uh, he would go with us, we would go with him hunting, and he would get something for dinner because there was almost no refrigeration. And I would be able to hold it in my hands and feel the, the life slipping out of it. And I asked him one day, I said, Daddy, where does that go? He said, what? And I said, Daddy, where does that energy go? I, I, it was in the bird when it was alive and then it's gone and he said I don't know darling uh, so we were a part of him showing us these things and we would be able to sit there with him as he just looked at everything that was around him and shared what he saw and what he knew and it was just so immense um, it was almost like his feet were a part of the earth somehow. But, uh, and so we would always sit on the earth as well. I can remember one time when I was out picking mulberries with our huge mulberry tree. 
my sister and I were playing tea parties because that's what there were a lot of tea parties, and uh, I, my job was to pick the tea parties. Her job was to make the tea party, the tea. And so I was out there picking Mulberry's bare feet, of course, in the sand. And suddenly I looked up, and about 15 feet away from me or so, there was this, what appeared to be a huge pink snake sitting up, I guess it was a cobra, and looking at me. And we had been told, don't move. In, in, in the United States, you run from the rattler. But in Africa, you stand like a, stand like a tree, Daddy always said. So I remember stand, dropping the berries and standing like a tree. And I was thinking very small. I just stood there for the longest time. And the snake stood there for what appeared to be forever. And then finally, I said to myself, run. And so I can remember turning around and running. And I ran up the stairs as fast as I could. And I could hear the snake coming after me. But I got in the door just before the snake did. And what my dad would do, would he would he would catch the snakes that were around the house and he would put them into bags and then he would rehabilitate them out onto the farm. Uh, he never really killed any snakes unless it was just directly attacking him. We had a wonderful life there. I was able to run away into the trees when I was supposed to do schoolwork, uh, which never really interested me much. And uh, it was just a, a life of connecting to the earth, of connecting and knowing, knowing what Daddy was showing us was so, so special and such a gift. When we were leaving Africa, Daddy decided that my sister was 21 and that we should leave because otherwise he thought there was going to be a bloodbath once the election was lost. And so we packed up, he packed up everything. What year was that when you left? It was 58 or 59, 58, because I was eight when I came out. And uh, he felt that if we stayed there, it would be very dangerous for white people to be there. And uh, so no matter how many friends we had and how many people protected our property, he just felt that it would come to a point at which it would be dangerous for us, those of us that were left behind for when they died. And, and, and so we left for Australia. And as long as I was with my family, it felt like everything was the same. Because they were loving and they were kind. What happened to the land when you when you left? Uh, well, he sold everything. Okay. Uh, all the everything that was on the land, but he couldn't sell the land and he couldn't take the money with him either. Most of it just had to take a little bit of. Not that they had a lot, because Daddy had been spending so much time with the politics that he hadn't had much time to farm. So uh, he had some. He couldn't sell the land. He did go back. And to sell the land and, and did a, like a fire sale of the land, which enabled us to buy a house in Australia. Uh, but at 50, they had to start a whole new life. And I think for both of them, that was a great gift to us and an extreme hardship for them. Uh, so it was interesting, though, because in Australia, when I went to school, it, feels like, it felt to me like I was in a prison. And they were very violent and cool in that school. And slowly, slowly, I just began to disappear. It covered me up. I can remember searching for it because I could sit there and look out the window and I could find that space. And then somebody would scream and I would come back and protect myself energetically. And uh, I would often just ask to go to the bathroom so that I could just stand there for a second and look at the clouds or 
even look out at the cemetery behind. And uh, it would help to balance and bring me home a little bit. And after a while, though, I couldn't find me anymore. And I completely disappeared. And I, the only time I could find me is when I got home and I would draw. I, I'm not an artist, but I would just sit and draw a leaf for half an hour or lay on my back amongst the weeds. And then for a short while, I could feel that, what I call the Africa feeling again. And did, uh, did your it was... Notice this about you or comment about it at all? No. When I was small, being uh, intuitive as we are, um, I was very aware of how how hard it was for them. Um, I can remember uh, we were we went up the coast looking for the best place to live. I can remember putting my hand through one of those windows that has lots of windows in it. You know, it goes up and down. Uh, leave a window, I think it's called, and I can it cut the inside of my hand, and I can remember thinking this is going to really be hard for Mum. So I, Dad had showed us how to deal with cuts, so I went in and dealt with cuts, and I just kept kept my hand for a few days, tightly like you know held in until it healed enough because I knew that it would upset her Mum particularly, and she was going through such a hard time. And I also remember they would give us a dollar when we got to Adelaide. They would give us a dollar for pocket money, and I would put 25 cents back in the, her purse because I knew they were struggling. It would have been easier for parents that might be listening to this. They were doing that to protect us. And at the same time, it would have been easier if we'd all sat down and they would have shared what was happening so that we could share in the process. But they didn't know how, and they didn't know Um and so the process for me for looking for that Africa feeling, for that oneness, that connection to the source, um, happened began to happen again when I took a year off after college to backpack around Europe and Africa. And uh, I could start feeling little bits of it. And it slowly took a lot of years for me to be able to find how to get back to that feeling that I was living in when I was a child. Thank you so much, because as you know, Africa holds a, a, a really special place in my heart. Um, it has a feeling, each of the continents, uh, you, uh, you know, it has a different feeling, doesn't it? Okay. Yes, I know. When I went out there and I was in, I was in Johannesburg and I was part of the Foundation for International Conciliation trying to um make a, a find a process by which apartheid could be dismantled uh with all sides so um apartheid was in full flow but i remember walking in my my room um we took a whole floor or the organization took a whole floor in this uh building and uh, so we had the offices in there, and we each had our own room there. And uh, I remember it was a Sunday morning, and there was the the the, uh, the Sunday morning singing in this the a cappella singing in the most amazing harmonies. And as I was walking across the room in my room, I felt like a gear shift had down shifted. My whole body downshifted.
felt I was in the rhythm of the country. I was in the African rhythm at that point. Yes. from South from Egypt and from the Middle East, actually, all over the Middle East, they immediately took away all rights for the colored people, which were Indians, people with different colors. They weren't black people. They were different colored people. And so he just, he had been with those people, and he, he just couldn't stand to see that happening. So he put almost all of his attention onto doing what he could to get those rights back and to, uh, it didn't happen. He got some rights back, not he didn't, but he became involved in different movements, but it, it took a long time for people to, to give those rights back to the people. Yeah. Hard, hard. Well, you know, when you, when you were talking about your childhood, I was reminiscing on Sir Lawrence Vanderpoel's wonderful Stories about the, you know, the Bushman and the the young English family that lived there, and the boy that had his dog, and I mean, it's a series of three or four books, all about uh, the beauty of South Africa and the bush, the the Bushman, um, and the trials and tribulations as seen through the eyes of a young boy and his dog. It's a wonderful place, or it was. I don't think it is so much now for children because it's so freeing. When when we were kids, it was we were so free. The only thing we had to do was they said run, run and hide if you see a car coming because of the fact that it might be somebody wanting to take you away to school. So if we saw a car coming that we didn't know, we would race and climb up the trees so that just until we saw who it was. Um, the other thing was that because there was warring amongst all different factions of people, um, my dad always slept with a gun under his pillow. And if a car was coming at night, he would have to jump up and just see who that was uh, yeah. to make sure that... Because there was, was danger always in the country of South Africa, whether it was from animals or whether it was from different fighting factions. Um, so it was it was a stressful time for them, but it was their home, and it was our home. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Oh, you're I, welcome. I, I, I just you know all the times we talk, I just know bits and pieces, but I, I, I you took me back. 
So now what has happened with me, though, is that having daddy show us all that, it's in children. You don't have to give it to them because they already have it. Just have to, as we've spoken so many times, try to help them not to get covered up. And if they are covered up, work with different techniques that we've shared in the different podcasts on how to help them uncover. Just being with nature and being free with nature, being to play in a... That's the operative word. Playing in something, you know, making... Free. Yes. And, And just being allowed to play in mud is a wonderful thing for children, like making a mud patch somewhere in the yard and putting, just letting the children go wild with mud. It's very freeing and very opening for the children. We were never criticized or stopped from getting dirty, and we were always dirty. We'd always be out in something. Well, this has been a story from my childhood, and um, thank you for listening. And this is Earth Tribe Radio, www.earthtriberadio.com. Your home on planet Earth.